This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Lucky Ticket is a collection of short stories that explore a diaspora of themes and people whose lives have been displaced or set on a new course. I found myself literally walking down the street with my head very deep in these stories. A young woman threatened on the eve of her wedding to the village heartthrob. A drunk musician who struggles to remember what happened the night his lover disappeared. A veteran who sells lottery tickets on the streets of Saigon on the lookout for good fortune but may not see it when it comes. Author Joey Bowie will join me to talk about this beautifully woven collection and how she dies into such different lives and find their common threads. But soon the Melbourne Writers' Festival starts this week and local author Nina Kenwood will be one of the guests appearing in an event titled It's Complicated. It's an appropriate event title for the author whose book is a wryly funny young adult rom-com. It sounded better in my head. It navigates a young woman's transition from a self-described teenage shut-in to a growing sense of self, renegotiating friendships and working out why she suddenly wants to talk to and maybe do more with her best friend's brother. Nina will be in to talk about her warm, funny coming-of-age tale very, very soon. Three, triple... Now, Natalie's vicious acne was no joke. It hurt and made her feel so self-conscious she spent most of her teenage years as a self-described shut-in, exhaling with relief to be away from everyone. But with medication, keeping things in check, two good friends who love her for her and Year 12 over and done with, things seem much more on track. That is until her parents drop their we're getting divorced but are still friends bombshell and she is about to navigate her first uni student party and her best friend's brother is starting to seem way more interesting. Things it seems are about to get a whole lot more complicated. It's all happening in Nina Kenwood's warmly funny young adult rom-com. It sounded better in my head and joining me now in studio is Nina herself. Nina welcome to Backstory. Thanks for having me. Now, this was, as I was just saying to you off air, just such a lovely book in so many ways. It's You've got just a wonderful sort of humorous tone to the narration and everyone in it is really pretty nice, I have to say. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a book with no villains, really. No death, no villains, no um, sort of traditional uh, conflict in that way, which at the time when I was sort of, I'd finished writing and I thought, oh... Is this marketable? What is this? Is, yeah, is everyone's all my characters are lovely? Um, is this going to work as a book? I think what it then shows, though, is you know how in in a way that I guess the enemies in this book is you know I, 
Natalie's own thoughts. The exactly. central character's brain is really what is, you know, kind of getting her into trouble, but also, you know, this wonderful exploration of the world. So, you know, I guess uh, the way in which we kind of undercut ourselves, the way that our friend's perception of us or our family's perception of us really does lock us into boxes that we have to negotiate our way out of. I think in a way this makes it a very classic sort of coming-of-age tale, but one done in a way that actually I find, you know, while not underestimating the experiences of someone who has, you know, had some difference or uh, some some problems kind of entering society, uh, I feel like it's really also this really beautiful and warm approach to something that everyone can connect with. Thank you. How did you sort of approach writing this book, though? Because, you know, there is a very particular sort of style to the writing and the voice that you've created for the the central character, Natalie. Yeah, well, I was actually writing... I was writing a different book. I was writing an adult book that was quite um, quite dark and sad and I was writing that and um, it wasn't going very well. And in the typical sort of writer fashion, I thought, oh, I've got a new idea, something new and shiny, um, which is usually a disaster to uh, keep abandoning things halfway through and jumping over to the new shiny idea. But one day I did wake up and think, oh, God, I just I don't want to work on this serious adult novel anymore. I feel like writing a fun young adult rom-com. And Natalie's voice just kind of came to me from there. I started writing and um, I found her voice and I thought uh, it felt like this could be it. And I sent the first four chapters. I wrote the first four chapters and polished them up and sent them to my writing group. And they read it and said, this is it. This is this is the one. Keep going. It's a really interesting thing to talk to someone who has just put out a first book that feels really assured um, about how you know when it's the one. So what you've just described, I guess, is, you know, you've sort of passed on, you know, this idea that you've had that you're not sure about yourself and it's really the affirmation of you know of readers that kind of brings that to you did you though have a sense that you kind of nailed the voice was there something about the rhythm of it that that really got you into the mood yeah like I I felt like I'd found the voice because young adult to me is so much about voice it's about finding the right voice um and I felt like as I was writing it yes I found the voice and I I think this could be it and the rhythm and the sort of because the book is so much in her head and so a lot of it was just flowing out um and it you know when you're writing something it's hard to know is this going to work is this but I did feel like this voice is something I can do something with this Natalie's a really great uh character because she sort of does act a little like an you know an, an omniscient narrator in a way but she's also a faulty narrator so she she thinks she knows what's going on uh in her world and in other people's worlds and she's pretty smart so most of the time she kind of really does nail some of what's going on but she misses a bit as well and I like that kind of you know the, the sort of way you play with with both of those elements um she has two wonderful friends, Zach and Lucy, who are her besties and have been mm-hmm. since she met them at writing camp, which, yep. uh, you know, you can tell that Natalie's sort of moving maybe towards, you know, that profession that we all know about so well on this show, that of a writer. Um, 
but, you know, those two characters, her two best friends, uh, got together and they're madly in love. So she sort of feels slightly on the outer and she's sort of about to launch into her own romantic experiences. Talk a little bit about where Natalie is at the time this book starts. So this book is set in the summer between high school and university in that time period where you're, you're 18, you're technically an adult, but you don't feel like an adult at all and you don't feel ready for everything that's about to come and so she knows her her results but she doesn't from school but she doesn't yet know what she hasn't got her university placements so that kind of limbo period of what university am I going to go to everything in my life is about to change and her two sort of safe areas are her two best friends and her parents and so the fact that her best friends have fallen in love and her parents are breaking up so there's sort of instability in the two areas that um Oh, you know, her structure of her life is based around. So that plus the fact that she doesn't know where she's going to go to uni and everything feels um, out of control and she's a character who doesn't deal very well with things being out of control. So everything's sort of unstable in her life and it's that I wanted to write about that you're on the cusp of so much and everything changing and the fear of that. Um, But I also really wanted to write about vulnerability and what it means to be vulnerable to someone for the first time and that's what I was really exploring with her relationship with Alex. It's sort of a it's I I kind of I'm smiling when I'm actually thinking about you know the emerging love scenes in in this book Uh, um, and I don't think it's giving away too much to say that there is in fact a love story between uh, Natalie and her friend's brother Alex. Uh, It doesn't quite go exactly in the directions that you might think and it sort of unfolds in this really beautiful way Uh, but it is every time I sort of start to go oh no (laughs) actually it turns into this this quite wonderfully wryly funny um, experience that is very relatable. Uh, I think Natalie's great asset is that she does have that sort of honesty uh, that I think ultimately, even though she sort of tries to pretend that she is more confident than she is, she ultimately just says what's going on, which you can kind of see how that's a great strength of hers. Was that sort of a deliberate characteristic that you built in for her? Yeah, I again, it was sort of finding the voice and then thinking, okay, this book is going to be about just going all in on her thoughts. It's going to be really, I wanted a really intimate, really raw kind of um, book. And because yet there's no villains, there's no huge death or big exciting plot point to hang things on, I'm much more about character than plot. So I sort of wanted to go as in-depth into Natalie's head as possible and really explore the fear around Yep, being vulnerable with someone for the first time and also that moment of as you're liking someone and maybe something's happening but you don't know and how do you know if you're in a relationship or how do you know if this could be a relationship and all that uncertainty, um, I really want to explore what was going on in her head through every step of that. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Nina Kenwood about her Text Prize Award-winning first book, uh, It Sounded Better in My Head. Uh, It is a build as a young adult romantic comedy. It's very much a coming of age Mm -hmm. tale, uh, whatever way you slice it. And I do 
firstly, Nina, want to talk a little bit about winning the text prize because that was a prize for an unpublished manuscript. Yes. And obviously that has a really has had a really big effect uh, on your career. This is your, your first published book. Talk a little bit about what it's like to sort of be the recipient of a prize like that. Um, I mean, it was life-changing. I had followed the text prize since when it began 11 years before um, when I entered and every year I sort of thought to myself, I'm going to enter that one day. I'm going to enter that one year and every year I didn't have anything finished and sort of felt a bit disappointed with myself. Um, And, you know, as an unpublished author, prizes are so um, important and also such a good motivating factor Um, And so, you know, it gives you a deadline. It gives you something to aim for. So I finally had something and I still was, even after nine drafts, I was thinking, is this ready? Should I wait another year? I'm not sure. And then I entered it. And yet winning was just absolutely amazing. And um, it just, it uh, completely changed my career and it gives you opportunities. Winning a prize, it's a way to sort of, package a book and talk about it especially a book like mine which um is just it's character driven so it's a nice sort of intro point for the book to say it's a text prize winner it's a really interesting thing you say about not you know being sure whether or not you're ready to let go do you think there ever ever is a point in a book's life uh, when you do have that sort of certainty and knowledge obviously this is the first book that you have in fact put out into the world um is there a necessity to have a deadline or an arbitrary reason to to actually make yourself put it out there? I think it yeah, I think it's dead yeah, deadlines are helpful so that you can you can let go because I could I could have kept going and redrafting and redrafting and that is the temptation. Um but then there's the opposite problem which is sending something out too soon. You finish a draft and it, you maybe you do a little bit of editing and then you think I just want to you're so excited you want to get it out there so I think it's really about finding the right moment to put a manuscript out there in its development but also the right moment so much of publishing is about timing and is this the right moment for a book Um, I started writing this when around when Trump first got in and it was such a dark time and I really wanted to be working on something joyful and I think that's what really made the book more joyful is because it was such a pleasure to turn away from all the negativity that was sort of happening around and just spend time in my happy manuscript world it's such a an interesting uh, approach to to reading as well to to talk about this idea of escapism in literature and I guess we do it all the time in film uh, it's a sort of you know it's something that I was thinking about while I was reading this I was enjoying this book enormously I have to say when asked I usually will say that I'll st- steer clear of anything that has romantic comedy anywhere near the title <laughs> but it's a you know really I guess anything that's been given a genre category is only as good as its writing and this is just such a lovely voice to be involved with it's got a very kind of Bridget Jones's diary sort of wisecrack to it uh, there's an intelligence to the writing and to the uh, the character a highly relatable character uh, her life is really pretty good as well uh, and I have to say there is you know a certain ease in in being inside of, of that uh, mindset but also there are echoes of some real difficult that she doesn't dwell on but the reader kind of can expand upon how difficult that's been so it's a it's a really nicely set up book 
Can you talk a little bit about how you feel about, you know, writing something that's billed as a romantic comedy or, or working in that sort of lighter end of the palette? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure how, and I did discuss this sort of with my writing group, is this how forgetting sort of if I was going to go out and look for an agent or pitch it to a um, publisher, how am I going to pitch this? What's the pitch? Is it a, is it a coming of age? Is it a romantic comedy? How does it need to be packaged? And in the end, that's not – like that's down to the publisher to to worry about that. Um, and if you have the right kind of book and if you have something that people can connect with, it doesn't really matter what it is. I This is a young adult book primarily, but it's also sort of – it has a lot of crossover appeal, I think, and I know that there are a lot of adults reading it and enjoying it um, – and so it is down to yeah is is it is rom-com off-putting then maybe you'll find the coming of age elements more appealing or if you're interested in romance then you can come to it from that angle um it's really that it's all just marketing in terms of how you frame it. Um, Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the things that I loved so much about this and that is kind of deemed to be a characteristic of that extremely well-written genre that we think of as romantic comedy is, of course, the the humour in the writing. And I'm sort of interested in how you played that up because it's a very sort of art wry humour. There aren't overt jokes. Uh, it's not sort of you know, done in that sort of like, I guess, wisecracking type of dialogue. It's more, you know, the internal monologue that that Natalie has all the time running through her head. How did you sort of try to sort of, you know, tweak it so that it was funny without effortlessly funny? Well, it was sort of unintentionally funny. Um, I It was only when yet someone from my writing group said, this is so funny that I thought, oh, it, maybe it is funny. It was it was more just being in her head and writing, as you said, like her internal monologue um, that it sort of – it was just getting it all down and then it was only later when you sort of – someone else is reading it or you take a step back and you start the um, editing process that you think, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, there is humour in here and I can build that up a bit. But it was mostly unintentional. It was mostly just – finding the voice and the story that I wanted to tell and that's how it came out. I am actually thinking about something that let's just say it it appears to be leading up to a sex scene that I think is, is you know, really quite beautifully funny where, you know, um, Natalie's asking a series of questions that is, that's kind of very much killing the mood that I think is just really beautiful um, in how it's been set up and, I you know, really getting across a lot of um, the characters, uh, you know, anxieties without her even realising what's going on. And I think a lot of the humour is that, that gap between what the reader obviously is perceiving and what the, the narrator is telling, that, that wonderful sort of unreliable narrator voice uh, that's done in a subtle enough way that when you catch it, it does feel like, you know, this is your friend that you sort of, you're like, I know you, Natalie, I can see what you're doing moment. So I think you've really managed to get that together. Look, uh, I I do want to very much um, recommend this book. It sounded better in my head. And uh, Nina, I'm incredibly impressed that this is a first book. Nina Kenworth, thank you so much for joining me today on Backstory. Thanks so much for having me. 
That was, of course, Nina Kenwood, the author of It Sounded Better in My Head, a coming-of-age tale uh, that is out now through text publishing. You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. And coming up next, author Joey Bowie will join me to talk about her engrossing new short story collection, Lucky Ticket. Three, triple, ah. Now, Lucky Ticket is a collection of short stories that explore a diaspora of themes and people whose lives have been displaced or set on a new course. I found it almost impossible to put this short story collection down. No joke, I was walking down the street still deep in these stories. A young woman threatened on the eve of her wedding to the village heartthrob, a drunk musician who struggles to remember what happened the night his lover disappeared, a veteran who sells lottery tickets on the streets of Saigon, who's always on the lookout for good fortune but may not see it when it comes along. It's just a small taste of some of the stories in Joey Bowie's new short story collection, Lucky Ticket, and Joey joins me now to talk about the collection and the complex complex and nuanced stories between its pages. Joey, welcome to Backstory. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. This is just such a uh, an extraordinary collection. I have you're the second first time author I've had on this show today, oh. both of whom have put out an ex- extraordinary debut debut books. Um and this collection is really, it's one where I can, I can really feel how much work has gone into each of these stories. As I was saying to you off air, I found myself reading over the stories just to sort of unpack um, some of the levels that I hadn't managed to get the first time around. Great. Uh, and it's not often that there's a, a short story collection that each story feels as engrossing in, in some ways as the last, but for totally different reasons. I would love you to talk a bit about how you embarked on writing these stories. Oh, so... A lot of them are based on um, interviews that I conducted with people while I was traveling across Vietnam, um, across Australia, the US, some uh, stories set in Argentina, uh, as you mentioned, um, and Nepal. So interviews, um, I usually want to have been there and lived there for a while myself to really um, understand the local area, help inhabit their lives that kind of thing yeah it's it really feels the rich detail of where each of the characters are is Mm -hmm. very um is very much a part of the story but it's not overly described these are not setting stories you're really deep in the characters i think Mm -hmm. in each of the stories this is very much character driven writing um i feel the richness of the you know where they are just by virtue of of certain mentions and descriptions and you know some background information necessary for the stories i think many people and in fact the i guess uh the the eponymous uh story the mm-hmm. the first story um of the collection which uh which really sets the scene for many of the themes that you cover is one where uh there's a a veteran of the many wars in vietnam um this particular veteran is one that um you know has chosen to remain in vietnam when he had the opportunity to perhaps leave something i probably shouldn't have given away because it it does kind of emerge later (laughs) in the story but you sort of you know he's on the streets of saigon he's homeless um he's in a pretty dire circumstance 
circumstance, but he has this sense of optimism about, you know, about good fortune or the potential for it um, affecting his life in a really positive way. Um, but as the, the story goes on, you start to realise that maybe he has a different conception of what that could be and may not see what, what could perhaps be in front of him as well. It's a really interesting story. Where did this particular one emerge from? This is the story that I think is the most tied to an actual person that I met. And that's why I like uh, the story Lucky Ticket to lead the collection, because that was a sort of breakthrough for me when um, I had been researching and writing about such difficult, dark topics like migration and war, conflict uh, and trauma. And then I met a man in Vietnam who was also... um, disabled he he had lost his legs and he was a veteran uh, and he had these really dark sad stories but he had such a positive attitude uh, and and I, I don't know I, I started to hear more of his voice in my head when I was thinking about this story and, and like making you know my fictionalized version of it and I really wanted to capture that that odd resilience and positivity. He's such an interesting character, though, because you've made him very nuanced and complicated. You can sort of see some of the things about him that, you know, have not only made him a survivor, but someone who who really finds small joys in his everyday life in a way that is profoundly wonderful to read. But you also feel as though there's there's a bit of doubt, a bit of sort of self-denial, I think, or denial that goes on in sustaining the life that he has, um, which is also a really interesting thing that's explored in this quite, um, you know, sensitive and complex way. I'm really fascinated to how I I really feel like you inhabited that character. How do you feel? (laughs) Is there a kind of metamorphosis that happens on the page when you take something that begins as the seeds of someone's life and then gets assimilated into your own brain and imagination and then comes out in this incredibly interesting way? Yeah, uh, I usually find, I think it's my writing process. I When I start a story, uh, I have an idea and it could come from anywhere. It could be a theme, a quote, whatever. Um, but then I can't start writing until I hear the character's voice in my head. And I hope that doesn't sound creepy, but it's it's when the, the voice and the character is fully formed in my head and I can he- like hear the their like speaking tics and the expressions they would use um, and the way they would deflect or ramble, things like that. That has to become fully real to me before I start writing. And this sort of this is really, um, I don't want to give too much about that particular story away, but actually there's something throughout all of these stories that slightly transcends what's being told. There's little elements of the supernatural that creep in. Um, There's, Mm. you know, or is that the perception of the characters you don't quite know? Um, You know, there's memory and, you know, false memories. There's all sorts of sort of little slights of hand that you've littered throughout the stories in the collection that I find really fascinating. Another of the stories that really um that i keep thinking about uh mm. and i'm trying to remember the name of the story uh it is actually it's one where uh, a young woman um is about to get married it's an arranged marriage uh, uh-huh. to a to you know this incredibly beautiful young man um <laughs> in her village but she's very practical and um approaches life in this in a way where she doesn't have high expectations of anything yeah. um but she she works hard and she considers others first before herself um but gradually you know 
this as her wedding approaches, um, she starts to receive these death threats from someone uh-huh. who is trying to get her to um, end the wedding, and she starts to discover things about herself she didn't realize. This is just one of those stories that it's just it's really doesn't go where you expect, um, <laughs> and it's actually incredibly beautiful uh, in the way that it unfolds. Can you talk a little bit about where this one came from? Thank you. Um, That is a lot based on my grandma's story, actually. She had, my grandparents had an arranged marriage and my grandma did receive a death threat the night before her wedding. Um, But um, that's just a little bit taken from um, my family's story. This, I wanted to write this because I had the idea that maybe one of the more painful experiences of love and romance that I don't see written about as much is, are, is people's fear that they would never truly fall in love. You know, we have so much heartbreak and rejection, um, great romances, but what what about, you know, the devastation of never fully feeling it or being afraid that you will never feel it so that's what this character deals with because she is like you said such a practical logical person and that's why I liked the idea of putting her in this um, this region of Vietnam the Mekong that is known to be really passionate and I don't know like lush and fertile Um, but she is afraid that she can't feel anything especially and then and then she faces an arranged marriage and it's sort of a really interesting thing because you sort of juxtapose that with, um, you know, another kind of shadowy character in the story who's a, a figure of, I think, the ultimate sort of obsession. Right. Um, there's a wonderful sort of description in there of how she sort of, you know, this this person um, who's sort of haunting, I guess, the the soon-to-be wedding party that, um, you know, lurks around at night and um, leans down beside the footprints of the person she adores and then, you know, picks up a little piece of dirt and wraps it up like, a, you know, mm-hmm. something she might eat. It's extraordinary to have that set against this, you know, mm-hmm. what what is emerging in what we see as love and I guess right. maybe the romantic notions of love or, or a more writerly version of love. Was that intentional that you were playing around with those themes? Yeah, I really liked that idea of the other woman who we never really meet um, that embodies I I think maybe if not exactly love, then extreme passion, a passion that my main character can never feel and that she is almost jealous of, even though this other woman is the one that gets nothing, is is sort of almost a ghost um, and, uh, I don't know, toxically obsessed. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm talking to author Joey Bowie about her wonderful short story collection, Lucky Ticket, which I could not put down um, and may have uh, stumbled onto the street while reading. Um, it's really one of those wonderful things when you get a collection that um, that does sort of really resonate with you. Um, every single one of these stories is set in a slightly different location or time period. Um, it's not quite clear always um, when that is, um, but they have a, a real sense that you are deep in those, those characters' perspectives. Um, there is another a story that, that kind of 
plays around with perception um, that is, you know, about a, a musician who's mm. drunk at the time, his lover goes missing, uh, he seems very disconnected from that event and yet this um, this person has had a profound effect on on his life, um, mm-hmm. on the, um, you know, on a, a performance, uh, sorry, on a song that his band performs that becomes incredibly popular um, and then goes missing mysteriously. So this is sort of exploring, I guess, the traps in the human brain and, yeah. um, you know, and, and what it does, um, I guess, to hide grief or to hide trauma. I would love to talk about this particular story as well. Where did that one come from? Yeah, uh, this the, this came from when I lived and studied in Buenos Aires in Argentina for half a year. And I studied uh, mostly literature and music there, including the formation of Argentinian rock music in the 1970s, which is really fascinating because it happened at the same time as the Argentine Dirty War, where the government was abducting people almost randomly. Um, and a lot of the literature and the art in Argentina is still is still so much about these events and still haunted by it. And now exploring um, trauma and how it changes people's perceptions and memories of that time. And so I have this character who has blocked away that memory of his lover being abducted because he can't deal with it. And uh, this story began with I I really liked the idea of uh, what if you didn't realize you were supposed to protect someone and you find out when it's too late. It's really amazing. I I think it kind of really does, um, you know, encapsulate how you've used a lot of the research that you've done for this book. Every single story teaches you something about the place um, or the time period or the political, um, you know, sort of setting for that book and they're often quite big points of history uh, lucky ticket of course sort of explores the difference between people who are on you know one side of, of what we think of as the vietnam war and people mm. on the other um you know of course vietnam had many other conflicts uh, that involved uh you know, many other kind of um, combatants and people and, and the complexity of that is often left out of, of narratives that make it into English language literature. This touches on that without really, you know, it kind of really gives you the richness of, it, of its effect on this character, mm-hmm. um, gives the readers a little bit of information about that um, while really contextualising everything, um, you know, never really sort of, I guess, making these books uh, just I- these sorry stories, just idea stories. You're really, you know, seeing how it affects characters' lives. Right. Was that, you know, did you want to sort of have that effect of, of really showing the human impact of, of these things without sort of being didactic um, while exploring themes? Or, was it, or were you led by the stories? Um, I think when I first started out with this book, I did mean it to be a lot more political than it turned out to be. Um, I, I kind of wanted to make a point like this is what should be seen about the war. This is how the war should be um, understood. But then but but that that just didn't work. I don't know when I when I started working or when I spoke to people, I was interested more in. Uh, yeah, the human side, uh, what what they cared about, which turns out to be, you know, the relationships in their lives and their like, fondest memories and their biggest regrets. Uh, that, that ended up 
that's what I'm interested in, and I think that's what makes the stories come to life more than um, I don't know more the history, the political angle of it. Mm. It's the people in the middle. And none of these characters are mere footballs for history. They have these very mm. complex takes on things. They are they are rich and nuanced, and and even objectively, you could say the central character of Lucky Ticket you could think of as as someone who sort of lost out in life. But mm-hmm. very much, it doesn't feel that way. Um, I really congratulate you on this collection. It's such an incredibly Thank assured um, debut. Um, Joey, I'm sure this is not the last that we will see of your wonderful writing. Are you, um, and I'm sure this is a terrible question <laughs> for a short story writer, is this a form that you feel you really want to explore more of short story writing um, or do you think you want to stretch into other other writing work? I certainly mm. hope to see more of your writing either <laughs> way. I, I would really like to attempt a novel for my next book, but I do love the short story form. Well, I'll talk to you off air about which of the collection, which of the stories in the collection I really can't let go of in the hopes that that might be a leaping off point for something longer. These are truly fantastic um, short stories. And um, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. Thank you. Uh, That was author Joey Bowie talking about her wonderful short story collection, Lucky Ticket, um, which is out now through text publishing. I'd also like to thank my earlier guest, Nina Kenwood, um, who wrote the wonderfully witty It Sounded Better in My Head, both first-time authors, uh, first-time published authors, uh, and both really excellent books. Definitely get your hands on them. Three, triple... Oh. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.